here. Verse 11 says, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. We're going to begin a series of sermons that will last most of Sunday evenings 2022, if not um, all of Sunday evenings 2022. The title of the series is going to be The Life of David. And we're going to look at this sermon title, From Anonymous to Anointed. From Anonymous to Anointed. David was a nobody in the middle of a field watching sheep. He was so much of a nobody that when Samuel showed up, he was left in the field and only brought in as a last resort. And he went from anonymous, by the end of the story, he's anointed to be Israel's next king. So we're going to look at uh, this tonight. We're going to look at the backstory behind it that got us to this point and talk about how God can use me and you in a great and powerful way. How God can use us if we'll give our heart to him the way that David had done prior to this special meeting with Samuel. Let's pray. God, tonight I pray that you would take the truths that you've broken my heart with this week. And Lord, as you have dealt with me in my office preparing for this message and Really, as I've gone about my entire week this week at home and abroad, Lord, uh, this sermon has been very, very much on my heart. Lord, I know that there's some truths here that can greatly help people. Help us, God, to come with hearts that are tender, hearts that are ready to listen. Lord, I, I think specifically of our young people in the room tonight, that you would stir their hearts in an extra special way. May a sermon like this get their attention. Lord, if parents at home are watching this and their kids are roaming the house, may they get their kids seated, down, seated and, and, and so they listen to this as well. And Lord, we pray that you do a great work in each of our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There are nearly 8 billion people walking planet Earth. The large majority of them have never heard And never will hear a clear presentation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ and salvation. This breaks my heart. Why is it that so few hear the gospel? Well, I'll just say, it isn't God's fault. It isn't God's fault. God sent Jesus to die for the sin of every one of those 8 billion people and everyone who lived before them, and everyone who will live after them. Jesus stood there on the mount, right before he ascended. He said to his disciples, You go and tell the world. Jesus took the burden of responsibility for the world to know the gospel message and put it on those who call themselves his disciples. Why is it that so few here? Well, it isn't God's fault, but it is our fault. It is our fault. When I say our, I'm speaking of Christianity more broadly. So few people are willing to walk across the street to give the gospel, much less fly across the globe. 
I believe God wants to raise up an army of preachers, teachers, and evangelists to take the gospel to every corner of the globe. Why is it that so few surrender? Why is it that so many give their entire heart and life? Why is it, why is it rather that so few give their entire heart and life to serving God? I hope to answer these questions out of 1 Samuel 16 this evening. In our passage, we find three candidates for service to God. Three candidates. David served God with his life in a way that, uh, that has made a profound impact on the world, still felt thousands of years later. But what about the other two candidates in our passage? Whatever happened to them? Why didn't they serve God to their fullest capacity? I can sum it up by saying that it was pride that limited them both. They, they couldn't get past themselves. They couldn't get past themselves. They, they couldn't humble their hearts uh, uh, for God to use them as His instruments. They, they just could not get their hearts to a place of, of service to the Lord. David became famous in God's kingdom. These other two men became infamous. David aided God's work on earth. The other two hurt God's work either directly or indirectly. David experienced the joy of being a servant of God. The other two experienced the loss of being set on the sideline and benched, if you will. When I get to the end of my life, I don't expect to look back over it and see perfection. In fact, I won't see perfection. When I get to the end of my life, I want more than anything to look back and say that God used me to further His kingdom. If every man on planet earth accepts me and loves me, but I let God... I let my God down, it really doesn't matter. If this God-hating world labels me a success, but God is disappointed in me, then my life has been a total waste. If I die wealthy in this life, but enter the next poor in heavenly riches, then I'll consider my entire life a failure. I want God... To use me. I want God to choose me. I want God to make a difference with me. I don't care if anybody else ever knows my name, but I do care whether or not the world knows his name. If we meet and part ways and you forget me, that's okay. But if we meet and part ways, and you forget about Jesus, that's not okay. We're going to look closely at three Bible characters in 1 Samuel 16 and see how they handled God and how God handled them as we consider this title, From Anonymous to Anointed. I have three points tonight, and I have an A and a B uh, below each point. If you had got one of those half-sheet outlines on your way in, take notes as we go. Let's jump right in here and notice, number one, Saul was rejected by God. Saul was rejected by God. Look back at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Look here, seeing I have rejected him. 
I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. What happened to King Saul? Uh, Saul, you had such a promising start. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 in your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter number 10, and and look with me at verse number 20. Saul uh, was a man who was selected by God to be the ruler, and somehow Saul fell from grace. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 20. If we could dial my mic back just a hair, that'd be great. 1 Samuel 10 and verse number 20. Uh, let's read down through verse 27. The Bible says, When Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken. And when they sought him... He could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, If the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when uh, he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from the shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted and said, God, save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book uh, and laid it uh, uh, laid it up before the Lord and Samuel sent all the people away every man to his house and Saul also went home to Gibeah and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched but the children of Belial the children of Satan said how shall this man save us and they despised him and brought him no presents but he speaking of Saul look here he held his peace we, we see that Saul ended up being rejected by God. But at the beginning, Saul was humble. At the beginning, uh, Saul was a modest man. He went home to Gibeah. He went right back to being a farmer. He's been made the king, but he goes right back to plowing his father's fields. He goes right back to a humble life. Uh, he goes right back to a, a modest life. Saul at the beginning was humble. Saul at the beginning was modest. Saul at the beginning was Temperate. Here you have men hating on him and 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 and, and throwing a, a, a verbal stones at him, but he just simply holds his peace. Saul was a nobody, and, and 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 God made him a somebody. But Saul made the mistake of letting his fame and power go to his head. Saul chose sin, and Saul fell hard as a result. Letter A. Notice the reasons for his fall. The reasons for his fall. Go back with me to 1 Samuel 16. Look back one chapter to 15. 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 23. We see here the kingdom being tore away uh, from Saul. Look at verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15. And, and, and Samuel sums up the problem with Saul so well. In verse 23 he says, looking Samuel the prophet looking right at Saul the king. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Look here. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Why did King Saul get rejected by God from, uh, from continued service? Because of his heart of rebellion. Saul determined that he was his own authority. And that he answered to no one other than himself. God gave him a direct command, and he chose to do it his way instead of God's. Why did God reject Saul from further service? 
because of his heart of stubbornness. Stubbornness. God equates rebellion in 20, verse 23 to witchcraft and stubbornness to idolatry. What idol are we worshiping when we're stubborn against God? We're worshiping the idol of ourself. Even when he had been given an ultimatum, he refused to yield. He became his own God, and God was done with King Saul. God had rejected Saul from further service. Letter B, notice the responses to his failure. Responses to his failure. Over my 38 years of life, I have seen many, many people that God called into church ministry. I have seen many, many church members that served God in a church ministry disqualify themselves and end up rejected by God. This is always catastrophic and tragic on so many levels. Somewhere, I encourage you to write this down, there are generally four traps that Satan uses to disqualify God's servants. Four traps God uses to disqualify God's servants. The first one I have written down here is fame. He lets fame go to a man or woman said, and fame will ruin a person. Ruin a person. So few people know how to handle fame. The second trap I have that Satan uses is fortune, money. How many preachers have been caught embezzling money, mishandling money, taking advantage of people's money? How many Christians are caught uh, in some sort of a Ponzi scheme or mishandling uh, business dealings? I've seen deacons in other churches get, uh, 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 get in all sorts of trouble, uh, financial trouble because of, uh, of dishonesty with money. Satan uses money, fortune, and fame. He uses females. I'm speaking to the men here. He uses females. I've seen many preachers in my day end up in bed with a secretary and out of ministry. I know preachers in jail for having fooled around with underage children. I'm not here to throw any stones at these men. I'm brokenhearted by it. The fourth, the fourth trap I see that Satan uses is power. Power. Some guy gets a hold of power. You know the phrase, absolute power absolutely corrupts. Very few people can handle power. Satan loves to trip up. Boy, we can go down these four and we can see at least three of them that sunk Saul. Fame, fortune, and power went to Saul's head and it caused him to fall. Take your Bibles over to 1 Samuel chapter 31. When spiritual leaders fall, it greatly hurts the cause of Christ and the kingdom of heaven. How does it uh, how does it hurt? What are the responses to failure? Well, we see it hinders followers. It hinders followers. Look at 1 Samuel 31 and look at verse number 1. 1 Samuel 31 and verse 1. I don't know that we have it hinders followers cued for the screen, but write it down there in your notes. It it hinders Followers, look at 31 and look at verse number 1. Here we see the very end of Saul's life. The Bible says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount uh, Gilboa. And the Philistines uh, followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and uh, uh, Malchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers 
hit him, and he was sore wounded to the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it, upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, they that were on the other side of Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. What happened here? Saul had chosen to walk away from God. Saul had chosen to worship himself. Saul had chosen... Uh, to uh, live a life of rebellion and stubbornness. And as a result, God had rejected him. And, and, and in that rejection, Saul fell hard. And in his falling, people were fl- fled from their cities. People were killed. People died. There was a, a physical carnage. There was emotional carnage. There was spiritual carnage because some person acted in a way that was selfish. And God looked at him and said, if you're not going to follow my plan, then I am rejecting you. And the tall tree of Saul's life fell and wounded and hurt many People, You see, there are people all over this planet who are out of church and away from God and even angry and bitter at God because some leader who loved them, some leader who showed them what was right was disqualified by Satan. And Satan put them up on his trophy case and said, I've beaten another servant of God. I've taken him down. And look at all of the people that have been hurt as a result. I just want to say to all of you here today that have been saved for 20, 30 40 years, do not ever let your heart be open to Satan getting at you. He wants nothing more than to take you down because somewhere at White Oak Baptist Church, there's a young Christian who's looking up to you and sees that you love God and you're following God with your life. And if Satan can take you down, he'll discourage their hearts. You see, when Satan can take down an aged Christian, what Satan does is not just take you down. There is a ripple effect that takes place across the waves of your life. You see, uh, when Saul ended up rejected by God, it hindered followers. But not only that, it hurts the faithful. It hurts the faithful. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 15 again. Last verse of 1 Samuel 15 and look at verse number 35. 1 Samuel 15:35. We're going to read down through the first verse of 16. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his, of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Look at verse 1. The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for me a king among his sons. You see, when Saul fell, it did not hurt Samuel's Christianity. Samuel was, in a, or rather, his faith in God. Christianity didn't exist back then, but his faith in God did not hinder his faith in God. Samuel was a stalwart of the faith. Samuel was a great prophet, the greatest prophet of his, of his time, the most famous prophet of his time. Samuel uh, was, uh, uh, was not going anywhere when it came uh, to his belief in God. His faith was not shaken on any level, but you know what it did is it hurt his heart. 
hurt his heart. What happens when a strong believer falls prey to one of Satan's trap and, and sins and, and stymies themselves? Well, it, while it does hinder followers, those who are faithful and know the Lord, it, it hurts their heart. Several years ago, I received news that a man who had had a big part in shaping and molding me as a preacher, as a man, or at least as a preacher, was arrested and put in jail for things that were very sinful and wrong. I watched as many of my peers who had been influenced by this same preacher walked away from church. I watched as many of my peers threw their uh, version of the Bible away and went and got a different version and threw the idea of being Baptist away and went and, and, and started acting and living in a way that was very contemporary and carnal and participating in a whole different variety of church. It was as though they had their eyes on a man instead of their eyes on the Lord. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, did you... Uh, was your faith shaken? No, my faith was not shaken because my faith was my faith was never in that man. My faith was in the Lord. But can I tell you this? It crushed my spirit. It hurt. It hurt me deeply. It wounded me. It still hurts when I stop and think about it. There are people who rely on you not because they're weak in their faith. There are people who rely on your friendship. They rely on you being a, a pillar of truth or a pillar of faith, a tree planted by the river of water. And when Saul fell, Samuel was so grieved in his spirit. The question about Saul this evening is this. Who rejected who? Who rejected who? We read 1 Samuel 16, 1, where it says that God had rejected Saul. But look back with me at 1 Samuel 15, verse 26. 1 Samuel 15, 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, look here, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Long before God uh, rejects a man or woman from service, uh, that person has rejected God's authority in their heart. Long before God gives up on a man, that man has given up on God. Saul was rejected by God. Number two, notice Eliab was refused by God. Eliab was refused by God. Look down at 1 Samuel 16 and look at verse number 2. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee uh, what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto uh, me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look now on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Look at this phrase, Because I have refused him. 
I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We just observed Saul's fall from kingdom work. Eliab is a different story. He's the second king that never happened. Could have it been that if Eliab had the heart for God that David did, we would never even know who David was. And God rejected Eliab. God refused him from service before he ever even got a chance to give it a go. Outside of this passage, there's only a couple of other mentions of Eliab. Why did God refuse him? He seemed to be an obvious choice to Samuel. Let me give you two reasons why God refused Eliab. Letter A, notice his appearance. His appearance. Look down to verse number 6. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 6 again. It says, And it came to pass when they were come that he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Further down it says, For man looketh on the outward appearance. Man looketh on the outward appearance. Let me just say, man, Eliab had it all together. He carried himself with professionalism. He was polished. Uh, he was well-mannered. If Eliab had been around today, he would have been faithful to church. He probably would have sung in the choir, helped out on a bus route, had the Scripture verses memorized, helped senior sisters to and from their cars, been the teacher's pet at school, and the pastor's favorite at church. By all external markers, Eliab had it all together. He knew how to carry his Bible. He knew how to say amen in church. He knew how to match his suit, uh, tie his tie, and shine his shoes. But all of the while, or rather all of the little old ladies, would have been singing Eliab's praises. Oh, Eliab, he's great. Walking up to Eliab's parents, I just got to tell you, you have just raised the finest young man. That Eliab, boy, I tell you, he's so polite. He's just got it all together. Eliab, if he would have been around in our children's program, he would have earned first place at every vacation Bible school program. He would have, had, he would have the praise of man by every measurable way possible. But even all of this, God rejected him. God was not impressed. Eliab had everyone else fooled, but not God, for God saw straight through the outward veneer. His appearance, letter B, notice his artificiality. His artificiality. That just means that Eliab was really a fake. Look at verse 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. I have refused him. The end of the verse says, The Lord looketh on the heart. Eliab was a good young man by man's standards, but Eliab was not godly. Our churches today are filled with well-mannered, polite children who are good 
and their behavior. But I'm afraid that many of these children who are good are not truly godly. They're good, but they're not truly godly. We are raising a generation of children who are fake. They are taught to have it all together on the outside, but what God sees on the inside is this heart of sin and carnality and shallowness. God hates hypocrisy. Let me say that again. God hates hypocrisy. Why did God refuse Eliab? Well, simply because he wasn't real. He was artificial. He lacked authenticity. Young people, hear me out. God doesn't want your religious works. He wants your heart. He wants you to love Him and walk with Him and know Him and commune with Him. He wants you to worship Him day in and day out. Day in and day out. Independent Baptist churches and many other churches like it around the world are filled with little boys and girls who grow up and they look the part, they talk the part, they act the part. They go to children's church and children's camp. They go to teen group and teen camp. And then something happens when they turn 18. They leave church and you never see them again. You know why? Because God's refused them. Because God looks right past that outward veneer of looking like they got it all together on the outside. And he says, I know what's really going on in your hearts. I know. I know that deep down inside you are carnal. Our world is lost and dying and going to a devil's hell. Young people are too busy playing games with heaven. You may have every adult in your life fooled into believing you were godly, but the Lord, He really knows. He isn't fooled. One day God is going to pass right by you and not choose you to advance His kingdom because you are just like Eliab. Parents, where do our young people learn this shallow Christianity from? Sadly, they learn it from us. They learn how to gain the approval of others, even though we never actually earn it from our Heavenly Father. Eight billion, with a B, eight billion people, 90-something plus percent of them are heading to a devil's hell. God is tired of our games. God is looking for men and women who will get serious about living right, not only outwardly where others see, but more importantly, inward where only God sees. The real question here is this, when it comes to Eliab, who refused who? Who refused who? Boy, 1 Samuel 16 Verse number 7 says that God refused Eliab, but I would contend that long before God refused Eliab, Eliab had chosen to refuse God in the sanctuary of his heart. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, Jesus said, Many are called, but few are chosen. Oh, God is calling. God is calling little 
boys and little girls. God is calling teenage boys and teenage girls. God is calling young adults. God is calling middle-aged adults. God is calling senior adults to a work. But God cannot choose you if you are phony on the inside. God cannot choose you if you know how to carry your Bible at church and you know how to talk the talk, but you're not walking the walk. God looked down at Eliab and He said to Samuel, He said, what you see is veneer. What you see is outward. What you see looks good. What you see is impressive. But what I see is a phony and a fake and a fraud. God does not want phony and fakes and frauds to advance His kingdom. God says, I'll look right past Him and I'll choose a man who loves me deep down inside. I'll choose a young lady who loves me deep down inside. We see that Saul was rejected. Eliab was refused. Number three, notice David was regarded. David was regarded by God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 12. By the way, you're going to see me get passionate in the pulpit when it comes to me motivating people to live for the Lord and reach the lost. Because, listen, this is an urgent thing. Uh, we got people all around us dying. Uh, think of an ER doctor that's got a, 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 an emergency room full of people who are dying all around him. And, and people are just sort of uh, asleep walking through their shift and not really doing their part. And, and, and laissez-faire in their attitude. At some point, the ER doctor puts his fist down and says, Folks, wake up! we got an emergency room of people who are dying and as a pastor I just want to stand up and say we got 8 billion people in this world who are dying and going to hell and Christians need to wake up we need to quit sleepwalking through our Christian life and we need to get passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ and if you want to accuse me of being a mean, hateful, nasty preacher, that is not my heart. But I am, I am hurting when I look at a world that's dying from the trauma of sin. And I want to just motivate every one of you in here to get with the program and serve God with your heart and life. God does not just want you to pass out a track. God wants you to go through the gospel with people. God doesn't just want you to have a Christian smile everywhere you go. Hi there, I'm a Christian. Hi there, look at my t-shirt. It says, I'm a Christian. I'm for Christian t-shirts. I'm not taking a shot at them. I wear them sometimes. But God does not just want the slogan on the shirt. He wants the heart behind the shirt. David was chosen by God because there was something far more than just a veneer on the outside. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. It says, And he sent and brought him in. Now, speaking of David, he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren and took the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. There is no question that this was the beginning of something very special. God would love David on a level unparalleled by any other Old Testament figure. Think about this now. Jesus is called the son of David. Of all of the characters in the Old Testament, Jesus is not called the son of any of the rest of them. He's called the son of David. One day, Jesus Christ will rule and reign in Jerusalem on David's throne. On David's throne, not Samuel's throne, not Moses' throne, not Adam's throne, not Abraham's throne, David's throne. 
Something very special is happening right here in 1 Samuel 16. By human standards, it seems unlikely that David would have ever been chosen by God to be Israel's next king. David lived a life in anonymity prior to Samuel's choosing. As I mentioned in the introduction, he wasn't even invited to the party. David was regarded by God. Why? Notice letter A, his position. His position. Look at 1 Samuel 16 and look at verse number 10. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. When I use the word position, what I mean is rank. David was not even considered by his father as a possibility to even attend this ceremony. Seven other brothers were brought before Samuel, and all of them God refused. God rejected. God refused. David was left out in the field to tend the sheep. I believe we've got a picture queued next. Meet Rick Martin. Put that picture up there for me. God has used him greatly in the Philippine Islands. In 1977, he founded Elo Elo Baptist Church. The next year, he started a Bible college. Over 600 men have been reached through his ministry and have gone up forth and have started dozens of local churches all over the Philippines. Fifteen of those men have started their own Bible college and are being used to send forth even more church planters. Put the next picture up there for me. There's a picture of his church. He has several thousand that show up every week. We look at someone like this and and think, why did God choose him? Why did God choose him? Brother Ray Young, the president emeritus of Hiles Anderson College, preached a revival here a couple of years ago. He talks about Rick when he was a student at the college there. He, He says that Ricky was quiet and backwards, and mostly kept to himself. In fact, he was sort of labeled as an odd, weird kid. My dad was there around the same time and said, yeah, Rick Rick uh, was awkward. Awkward's the best way to describe him. Um, Ricky's name came up multiple times when he was a student at college for a bus captain position. The first handful of times, they overlooked him. They chose someone else because of his backwards personality. But Ricky had one thing going for him. Ricky had a heart for God. Some of the other college students would notice when they'd get back late from work that Ricky would be out late at night walking the grounds. One night he was seen in the middle of a field hugging a tree. This odd duck, this peculiar kid, Imagine pulling your car into a parking spot at 11 o'clock at night. Your headlights shine out in the field. And there's odd Ricky just latched onto a tree. The word got back to the dean of men about this incident. So they called Ricky into the office. And Ricky put his head down in embarrassment. And when he was pressed, he said, 
He said, I go outside at nighttime and I pray. He said, last night I got so tired while I was praying that I figured if I grabbed hold of the harshness of that tree, it would keep me awake so I could continue to pray. Ricky was finally given a bus route. The power of God was resting upon him in such a way that he immediately filled up multiple buses out of his area that he had been given. Rick Martin, who could barely chew gum and walk, was filling up buses. Upon his graduation, he married Becky, and Ricky and Becky Martin have been serving God on the mission field now for 35 plus years. Was he the most popular? Nope. Was he overlooked? Yep. Did he have talent and people skills of others that were as polished? Nope. But Rick Martin, like David, had a heart for God. God elevated these men to a place of great service and usefulness. You slip in here tonight, you can turn the lights back on, guys, thank you. You slip in here tonight, and you think to yourself, I, yeah, Pastor Lejeune, I mean, he's a polished speaker. You know, I see some of these other guys that get called on to preach. They got it all together. And I go up soul winning, and some of these uh, men and women, and they, they can wax eloquent. Miss Angela's uh, bus captain, and, and she's got it all together, and teaching a class, and Pick your person in the church that you think is just being used by God. Listen, we're just all a bunch of nobodies. You know who God uses? He uses people who deeply, deeply love Him deep down inside of their heart. God's not looking around the church going, who is the most talented? Who's the best spoken? Who's got the greatest singing voice? Who's got the most handsome and winsome smile? God's looking around and saying, who's given their heart to me? Who loves me the most? Who's willing and available to do my work? Why did God regard or love David so much? David was just a little nobody nothing out in the middle of a field in Israel. No one outside of his family even knew his name. And they didn't even care enough about him to invite him to the party when Samuel showed up. They left him out there to watch his sheep in anonymity. God said, while you all don't know who David is, I spend time with him while he worships me day in and day out. You may get overlooked by every single person in your life. But if you're walking with God, God knows who you are and God will elevate you in due time. You see, Eliab had it all together but didn't have a heart for God. David, at the beginning, did not have it all together but he had a heart for God. Letter A, we see his position. Letter B, we see his passion. His passion. Look at 1 Samuel 16 and verse 11. The Bible says, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come uh, hither. Moses was sent to watch sheep before he could lead Israel. David was a shepherd before he could lead Israel. Isaiah 53 tells us that humanity 
are, are like sheep. Jesus Christ is titled the Great Shepherd. The leader of New Testament churches is the pastor, which means shepherd. David learned the qualities that carried him to be king by learning how to lead sheep. David fell in love with God as a shepherd. Many of David's greatest psalms were written in the innocence of his youth in a field with sheep where he learned to be passionate for God. David developed the heart of God for uh, David developed a heart for God and for others in those fields. The real question here is this, who regarded who? Who regarded who? Well, here's where the script gets flipped just a little. We saw that but long before God rejected Saul, Saul had rejected God. And long before Eliab, uh, God had refused Eliab, Eliab had refused God in his heart. But in this case, it's different. Long before David ever loved God, God loved David. God loved David. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, the Bible says, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave this testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my law. All right, I'm going to bring, it, I'm going to bring the plane in for landing, but I want you to give me your full attention while I do so. Here's a little secret about the passage. God did not love David. At the beginning, God did not love David any more than he loved Saul or Eliab. He loved all three of them the same. David, or rather Saul and Eliab, chose to neglect God's love at some point in their life and love themselves. David chose to love God with all of his heart. Do you know that God loves you just as much as he loved David? In preparation for this message, I began to think through various people in the Bible that had an extra, extra special relationship with God. I thought about Abraham and Moses. I thought about, uh, obviously, David. and I thought even about Samson. Samson had a special relationship with God. I, I thought about John in the New Testament and many, many others. These people seem to get extra special treatment from God. But I came to this conclusion, God treated these people extra good because these people loved God a little bit extra. You see how that works? When God loves you and you reciprocate that love, God loves you back that much more. And you get a cycle that's fascinating. I finished the sermon with an illustration this evening. In the early 1980s, my father was a 16-year-old young man. He had taken to a man in his church named Jerry Pertell. Jerry was then and still is, even now in his 80s, uh, in church ministry serving as an evangelist to children. My father had gone with Brother Pertell to a preaching meeting in another town. On the way home, Brother Jerry got on his soapbox and began to preach at my father in his car. Very passionately began to give a very strong opinion about teenagers. Here's what he said to my dad. My dad sitting in the passenger seat, a 16-year-old boy. They're riding in. And, he, and, and, and Jerry Patel says to my father, he says, Teenagers are worthless. My dad's sitting there. He thinks I'm worthless. He said, Teenagers are worthless. All they care about are themselves. 
And then he looked at my dad and he said this. He said, I've yet to see a teenager who has wholeheartedly given himself to the Lord to love God and serve him with all his heart. My father looked back at Jerry Pertell. And he said to him, he said, sign me up. He said, I'll be the first one that you will have known. I'll be that teenager that gives my heart to Jesus. My father has been a man with a heart for God as long as I have known him. I want my children one day to say about me. And I want their children one day to say about them the same exact thing. To the adults in the room, let me ask you a question. All of the children, whether it's in a school classroom, your own children, your grandchildren, other children in this church that observe you, are they looking at an adult that loves God with all of his heart, all of her heart? Are they looking at someone who's just going through the formality and the, the motions? To all the children in the room, all the teenagers in the room, all of those who've yet to enter college, I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Has God refused you? Because you're shallow and you're phony and you got it all together on the outside, but inwardly, there's no real walk with God there. Let's get that thing turned around before God says, nope, I have no interest in you in church ministry. God rejected Saul after he was called. God refused Eliab before he could be called. And God regarded David as he was called and used him mightily. Eight billion people walking this earth. Many of them will never know Jesus because too many of us are too busy being a Saul or an Eliab. We need men and women who will give their heart to the Lord just like David. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? I didn't ask, do you come to church? I didn't ask, do you dress nice when you come? I didn't ask, do you know how to say amen? I didn't ask, you got the outward all figured out. Does God know that he has your heart? Or does sin have your heart? Or do you have your own heart? We set an example for the kids. Kids, are we walking with God? Does God know that, that He has our heart? Lord, tonight, would you please stir us, show us, help us to be deeper and deeper in love with you. May we be like David was as a young man. May we have a heart that's passionately in pursuit of your heart. God, do something great in our midst this evening. May decisions be made that matter. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.